My name is Chris McCallum and I play the part of Stephen, Stephen Berry. The play is called Preferred Medium. It's about uh, a man who appears to be obsessed by a uh, Stanley Spencer painting called The Resurrection. It's on display, it's been borrowed from the Tate and is on display in a gallery and this man turns up and stands in front of it staring uninterrupted every single day that the exhibition is open for about a week and uh, inevitably uh, this attracts the attention of the people who run the gallery and the security people and everything because they're not sure what his motivation is. My name is Michael James Ford and in this play Preferred Medium I play the part of David Knott who is the uh, much put upon assistant director of the gallery plagued by this mysterious character who plants himself in front of Stanley Spencer's The Resurrection and nobody knows why and the fear is of course that he's a nutter who's about to sabotage the painting or rip it to shreds and this is the central mystery of the play which is intriguingly resolved. My name is Nick Dying and I play Robert Tromans who is an MP who is having an affair with Celia and his connection with her really starts up because he uh, was able to use his contacts as an MP to get hold of this uh, extraordinary painting by Stanley Spencer called The Resurrection and gets it for her to, to you know, uh, so that she can bring it into her gallery. But I think there might be ulterior motives in there somewhere, is all I can say. I trained uh, at Central School of Speech and Drama, which is in North London. I was living at the time with somebody who'd gone there and... I wasn't really doing anything with my life. And she said, if you want to waste your time... You... No, she said, you, you should try this, you know. And I went along and I saw some shows and I thought, oh, I could do that. And uh, here I am, obviously proving that I can't. I did an um, English and drama degree at Exeter University in Devon. And it was quite an alternative course, influenced by the Polish visionary uh, Jerzy Grotowski um, and the work of Peter Brook, the author of The Empty Space. It was all about creating theatre from images in a very simple, very physical way. So for the first year, we didn't go anywhere near text. We just explored and we explored our own bodies and our own capabilities to uh, create physically. And we looked at the worlds of primitive theatre and mime and mask work and all sorts of things, but we were desperate to get near text after a year of that. Well, I was in London during the 80s and 90s, so then there were certain shows that, you know, you almost, with your equity membership, you had to appear in EastEnders, The Bill, Bergerac, Casualty, all those, loads of programmes that they don't make anymore. And, I, yeah, I did my time in each of them, and then when I'd run out, I came here. Then I got, on the English side, I got very interested in Irish writers, particularly Yeats and Singh and Beckett, and uh, liked the idea of doing a postgrad literature course in Trinity, which is what I did, arriving in 1980 at a very extremely lively time in Trinity, which was where a lot of the people who went on to form Rough Magic were all together in players, the likes of Lynn Parker and Pauline McLynn, Stanley Townsend, Declan Hughes, Dara Kelly. There was just a big, big 
bunch of people together, very creative time. I trained in London at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art many, many years ago when the world was black and white. And, um, uh, and I came over here probably in about 20, over 20 years ago now and have had a wonderful time and absolutely love living here. I moved over here in 1996. I met this girl called Fiona and she lived here and I lived in London and it became inconvenient for our relationship. So I decided to move over, much to her surprise. The last thing I did in England was uh, a production of King Lear in The Crucible in Sheffield. I left my flat and I went up there, did the play and then I moved over here. I came over because I, as I actually had the uh, the opportunity to say to... <laughs> name drop here to President Higgins <laughs> I actually had to say to him once I was asked to give a little speech for after we did a show and um, I said well I'm very glad to be over here now in Ireland because I stole one of your women and brought her over <laughs> yeah so that's what I said um, yeah so I came over here for like um, like Chris was saying uh, for the love of a woman and there's been no looking back. Uh, I know the painting, the Stanley Spencer painting, because I used to work in the Tate Gallery in London. And uh, I was a security, I was probably the most ineffectual security guard in the history of contemporary British art. And I, um, you used to have a week in each gallery. You'd be going around in kind of clockwork, clockwise order. Um, so you'd have a week with Stanley Spencer and then a week with Mark Rothko, which was always rather challenging, and a week with the Turners and... Uh, and so on. In fact, when I was in the Tate, um, Francis Bacon used to come in quite regularly and, uh, and look at his stuff. Wouldn't recognise most of the others, so I don't know if perhaps they all kept, came in under cover of darkness, but he was quite regular, quite a regular um, attendee. I worked at the Tate for about six months and then I dyed my hair and they sacked me. The, as, as I departed, their excuse was, the, the colour here is meant to be on the walls and not on the warders. Out of that, I just got started initially working in, in places like The Project, then going on the road with a very much a rough theatre operation, a company called Trapdoor, and then started to get work with uh, the Abbey and the Gate and the Gaiety and have hung in there ever since. I turned up with a CV and kept badgering the Abbey until eventually they couldn't think up any more reasons not to employ me. The first play I did in the Abbey was a play by Chris Lee called The Electrocution of Children, which starred, among other people, um, Andrew Bennett, who'd be a very familiar voice, and uh, Pat Laffin. And uh, Alwyn Fure was in that as well. So most recently I've been at the Abbey Theatre. We've been doing uh, Let the Right One In, um, which finished up in February, I think. Um, I've been doing various radio things recently up in, in the north, and I continue a lot of coaching that I do, a lot of coaching work with actors that I work with all the time, online and offline, and all sorts of places like that. Oh, yeah, I'm in a film called Citizen Lane, which is about um, Hugh Lane, the man who started the Hugh Lane Gallery. That, I think that's just opened. I haven't seen it, but I'm told I'm still in it, which is nice to know. And I'm in uh, Rebellion, the second part of Rebellion, which I think is called Resistance that they filmed last year. That's, I think, a five-part series. And I have a show that I did last year called Strutting and Fretting, and that's playing in the Civic in Tala later in the year. It's a one-man show about uh, an actor playing Macbeth. So here he was, this incredibly successful art dealer. He had an amazing eye. One of the stories that comes out in the film is the way 
At auctions, people would look at Hugh Lane to see what paintings he was looking at because just he just had this instinct. So he amassed this amazing collection and then wanted it to be enjoyed by the nation at a time when Dublin was, had bec was going through its great cultural moment in the early 20th century. And he fell in inevitably with Lady Gregory and W.B. Yeats and uh, William Orpen features the, the painter. Um, so it then tells the story of how he tries to get a gallery built that was going to be over the Liffey, a remarkable building designed by Lutyens. But he then ran into serious opposition. And uh, the question was, you know, he, he was representative of the, the Anglo-Irish, of the very people whose power in the country was being questioned. So there are all sorts of political complications. Ultimately, he didn't get the go-ahead to house his collection as he wanted. And in a huff, he left in his will, he decided he's going to take the paintings away to someone who wants them. In his will, he left them to the National Gallery in London, changed his mind, wrote a codicil to the will. It was never witnessed. And so when he died, tragically, in the Lusitania, when it was torpedoed off Kinsale, that's how the will read, that the paintings were to, to go to the National Gallery in London. And then gradually the battle for the ownership of the paintings progressed. Charlemont House, isn't it, in uh, Parnell Square, became available, the perfect place for them, but there's still a number of paintings in London that they aren't going to let go in a hurry, as someone said, very much like the Elgin Marbles. Uh, coming up, we've got... I'm going to be doing Hamlet a bit further on in the year at the Gate Theatre. going to play Polonius with uh, Ruth Nager playing uh, Hamlet, which I'm really excited about and very looking forward to. Um, Yale Barber is going to be directing that, and she's um, fairly well known over in the UK and uh, in America. And uh, will come and bring a very uh, interesting, different interpretation of the entire thing, I would imagine. I thought it would be good to have a show that I could do without depending too much on other people. So I, uh, I did manage to drag a few other people into it. My wife designed it, and Michael James Ford, who is in this play, uh, he directed it. But apart from that, it's just me, so I could, in theory, do it, you know, at the turn of the road. What I do with actors is uh, I, I actually run a website where I coach actors to essentially get out of their own way because that seems to me to be the biggest thing that happens with actors these days is that they begin to believe certain things that they tell themselves inside their, inside their mind. They tell themselves stories that they've learned like, you know, I cannot do this, it is impossible, there are reasons that I am stuck, uh, I have my confidence issues, or, you know, I may have issues with confidence, I might be feeling in sort of stress situations or maybe just blocked and stuck in some way. And uh, my work is entirely to convince, not even to convince, it's to suggest, it's kind of like tapping them on the shoulder and waking them up to the possibility that actually everything is possible. And I, I firmly believe that, that anything is possible these days. I don't think there's a single thing that cannot be done uh, in terms of changing our lives to more fruitful ways of looking at and engaging with the world. And 
the the blocks that people have are as 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 many as there are individuals you know um and i get hundreds of different kind of people now i've coached more than 2000 actors now over over all the years and uh Every single thing is different. Every person is unique. So there's no one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter thing here at all. People come with individual issues and dilemmas. And essentially what I do is I try and help them with support to get through those barriers that are all well, pretty predominantly self-imposed. But we may not always be aware of that, that our own thinking is causing, causing the problems in the first place. As Hamlet says, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And in that episode of In the Wings, you heard actors Nick Dunning, Chris McCallum and Michael James Ford discussing working together on next week's drama on one preferred medium by Bob Gallagher. The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. rta.ie forward slash drama on one.